The Lancet Psychiatry Podcast, bringing you the latest news and views from around the world of mental health. Thanks for joining us. Those of you who read The Lancet Psychiatry regularly, which is, I hope, all of you, will know that we're always on the lookout for the latest advances in mental health care. Today, though, we're talking about one of the older and one of the more controversial treatments in psychiatry, electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT for short. Some of this conversation might be a bit upsetting, depending on your own personal experiences. If this is likely to be the case, please don't feel you have to listen. You can, of course, pick another of the many podcasts from our extensive archives. The paper that we're discussing today comes from a team based in Canada at the University of Toronto. And I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the authors, Dr. Tyler Castor. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, my first question is this. ECT has been used on many, many patients all over the world for decades. Indeed, uh, we know that Ugo Celetti and Lucio Bini administered the first ECT to a patient probably in, in 1938, which is over 80 years ago. So why in 2021 are we seeing a paper called Risk of Serious Medical Events in Patients with Depression Treated with ECT? Shouldn't we have known this before now? Yeah, no, that's a, a really good question. As you said, ECT is quite an old treatment. So I guess the question is, why are why has this question not really been answered before? And so I think for a couple reasons. So um, many of the original studies from ECT, they seem to have taken place sort of in the 50, 1950s towards the 1980s. Um, and a lot of these were sort of smaller trials, smaller randomized control trials. And so you know, that they were focused a lot on the efficacy or trying to answer the effectiveness of ECT for treating in particular depression. But I think an important question for a lot of patients, a lot of individuals considering treatment with ECT, which as you highlighted is a very personalized and very difficult decision to be made, is around the safety or the side effects of ECT. And so um, fortunately, in a lot of ways, ECT is quite safe. But we are the goal of this work was to try and figure out what is the independent effect of ECT. And in order to do that, we needed really, really large samples, which is hard to get in sort of randomized control trials. And so that's where we use sort of a modern administrative health data to try and answer this question of what is the independent risk uh, of medical events with ECT. So it sounds like it's a mixture of the fact that this was a treatment which was introduced before there were modern experimental methods before we had the sorts of data sets that would be able to answer these questions. Yes, exactly. And so both the modern data sets, uh, and I should actually add, add as well the, the, the methods, the, the statistical methods to be able to try and account for uh, isolating the effect of ECT is actually quite challenging because people who are considering ECT and receive it are often very different from those individuals who don't. So that brings us on to the specifics of, of your study. And I think it would help a bit now if, if you tell me a bit more about the group of patients that you included. And who were they? And perhaps most important, what can you tell me about the problems which they were facing, which led to ECT being a treatment option? Uh, so this was a study that we conducted at ICS uh, in, Can in Ontario in Canada, which is an institute that takes all the administrative health data or register-based uh, data from Ontario. And we looked at all of the individuals in Ontario who were admitted to a psychiatric inpatient unit with depression for at least three days. And so that was our starting group. 
And then we looked at the individuals who did get ECT and looked at those who didn't. And so would you like me to talk a bit more about sort of that the next step that we did in the, the design or the approach? Before that, I'd just like to know a little bit more about these patients, because the, the design of your study and the idea that you're having to separate out the potential effects of the ECT from the uh, mental and physical health problems, which these individuals uh, arrived with, as it were, suggests that these are, are people who are not, not terribly well in, in, in maybe multiple domains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with this administrative data, there's actually quite a rich um, data set where we were able to capture a lot of those men- mental health, uh, physical health, health service use, um, sociodemographic information in the time at the time of the hospitalization and admission and sort of describe all these characteristics and try to account for those differences between the people who did and did not get ECP. So if you were to, to say, uh, although of course, uh, every patient has their individual story and their individual uh, presentation, if I were to say to you, what kind of patient would you say uh, ECT might help with? Could, could you give me a thumbnail sketch of that? Yeah, we actually had uh, conducted a separate analysis entirely as a descriptive one of who did and didn't get ECT, what it looked like. And, um, you know, the the typical patient often was older. Um, they tended to be a bit healthier than people who did not get ECT. Uh, there was a, you know, very, very few had the individuals had substance use uh, challenges. They were often a bit as I said, older, they had, they tended to be married, a bit higher education, uh, socioeconomic status, and compared to the younger individuals who may have had substance use challenges or, you know, sort of more medical or psychiatric comorbidities, they, they did tend to be quite different actually between those two. And clinically, um, I mean, the fact that they're being admitted indicates that, that they have a, what you call a severe depression, um, maybe one which hasn't responded to other treatments so well. Yeah, um, that was one of those unfortunate limitations of our data set was we don't have the number of treatment trials, which is a quite an important um, clinical decision around whether we should pursue or not pursue ECT. Though I do think that, um, you know, clinically, I would suspect that many of them had tried numerous antidepressant medications. The vast majority were on some form of antidepressant medication. They were also on a, an antipsychotic medication, which typically used to try and treat that the resistant depression as well. Um, and so I do suspect that they had tried multiple other treatments before ECT was considered. Okay, so let's go back to the design of your study. Now, it wasn't a trial. It wasn't a randomized controlled trial. It was a propensity score matched retrospective cohort study. Now, what exactly does that mean? And why was it that you chose this design? So the ultimate goal of our study was to try and answer the question sort of with a patient in front of us, you know, doctor, what is my risk of medical events if I were to get ECT versus not? And so, you know, as I think spoken a bit about is that in an ideal world, we could conduct a randomized trial of randomizing people to ECT or not. Unfortunately, just, you know, the numbers of people we would need to recruit and the funding, there'd be a whole host of challenges. And so this, the use of the observational data is kind of the second best approach. And so the idea uh, here was that this, the thing is called propensity score, which is basically, 
in some sense, the likelihood or the probability of an individual getting ECT based on those characteristics at the time, in this case, at the time they were hospitalized. And so it comes up with an overall score or probability of them getting ECT. And you can use that propensity score to, in a couple of different ways, but in our study, we used it to match people who had a similar propensity score, but did not get ECT. And so the idea sort of behind this is that these two individuals are, you know, based on the propensity score are similar in all respects based on what's included the propensity score, but for the fact that one got ECT and one did not. And so any differences that we would see are on account of the ECT. So you've got two groups of people who are going along similar paths up until the point that the ECT is given, and then you're tracking what happens after that. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Um, Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's just return to the the clinical aspect of things for a moment. If I were one of these patients and I were talking to you and saying, uh, okay, you've suggested that ECT is a treatment which I should consider. And I would then ask you, what can I expect to happen? What clinically is it like to have ECT? What are the processes? Uh, I, I can speak sort of to our clinical procedure. I think there is some variation amongst uh, centers, but you know, typically, as you've sort of highlighted, there is typically a psychiatric consultation. In our center, there is sort of a specialized service that focuses around ECT and the discussion of the risks and the benefits. And that's usually followed by an assessment by an anesthesiologist regarding the medical suitability for ECT. It may involve some imaging, blood work, uh, an ECG or electrocardiogram. And if you know, if there's any issues that arise from that, then those get addressed before they proceed with ECT. Then with the actual procedure itself, it's typically delivered in a perioperative setting, either a dedicated treatment suite, sometimes it's in a surgical recovery area, depends on the center. Uh, And then when the individual comes in, typically there's an anesthetic agent that's provided that uh, allows the individual to fall asleep. Then there's a muscle relaxant as part of the treatment. And then once the individual is completely asleep, there is an electrical stimulus that gets applied uh, that results in a generalized seizure, lasts anywhere from you know, 15, 30 seconds up to a minute or two. The individual then wakes up. Sometimes they're a bit groggy or confused after, but uh, you know, over the course of about 30, 45 minutes, uh, they're usually then ready to head home if they're coming as an outpatient or if they're from an inpatient unit, they then go back to the unit that same day. So what you're telling me sounds very different to the sorts of media portrayals that people might be used to, in which someone is conscious as the experience happens, in which they're physically being held down. What you're telling me is that people are under a general anesthetic and also a muscle relaxant. So neither of those things which people will have seen in in old movies maybe actually happens in a centre such as yours. Yes, in in general, that uh, all individuals coming in, they will always receive an anesthetic agent, always receive a muscle relaxant. And the vast majority of individuals coming down do provide their own consent for treatment as well. And this consent issue, I think, is is one of the the very difficult things, because, of course, as I think we've already mentioned, when people have ECT, there are often people who have uh, very severe mental illness. There are people who... uh, Lots of treatments might have been tried on in the past without, unfortunately, much success. Um, And so there might be uh, very difficult issues around consent uh, for this this treatment. Uh, How is that dealt with legally in in your situation? So that certainly does vary by jurisdiction. I know different uh, 
countries, provinces, states all have different regulations. In ours, in Ontario, um, all individuals, you know, and, and this probably speaks to why at our center we have a separate service dedicated to assessing individuals for ECT treatment. One of the things we always assess for is an individual's ability to consent to treatment, which in the Ontario context is around their ability to understand or appreciate the information provided to them. In the event that an individual based on an individual, uh, the psychiatrist assessment uh, is not you know, considered capable to consent to ECT, then there's sort of a, a legislated uh, framework for finding a substitute decision maker, uh, in which case, the other thing I should mention as well is that the individual patient also has uh, the right to contest that finding of being incapable. They're provided with uh, legal, sort of there's a quasi-judicial, quasi-legal framework that uh, they can contest that finding. They get uh, legal representation at no cost. And there's a, um, a panel of a, a psychiatrist, uh, a community member, and a, a lawyer that they can speak their case and sort of they can provide the opportunity for uh, sharing their, their evidence for why they feel that they are capable to consent. Under the event that the capacity finding is, the incapacity finding is upheld, you know, the psychiatrist or the treating team will then find a substitute decision maker to provide, provide substitute decision maker consent. But again, that, that is done sort of in the prescribed manner according to all the regulations of the law with these safeguards to really try and um, protect the rights of the individual as much as possible. Okay, so let's go back to your study. Um, as part of this process, presumably you'd want to let the patient and all the decision maker and everyone involved in the process know about the risks. And the risks which you're looking at on this occasion, and which you're, you're trying to, to highlight and to elucidate with the study, are what you call serious medical events. Now, what would you define as a serious medical event? And how did you come to this definition? So we defined serious medical events for the purposes of this study as a composite sort of combination of the outcomes of either a medical hospitalization, which we defined as any non-psychiatric hospitalization, or a non-suicide death. So really trying to cast a really broad net of you know, medical events that led to either death or hospitalization. And what did your study show? The main finding of our study was that, well, firstly, that in both groups, those who did and did not get ECT, the incidence within the first 30 days after starting ECT of serious medical events was quite low in both groups. When we compare the groups, we, we did not find that there was a statistically significant increased risk of these serious medical events. And so the limit is that we couldn't rule out really small uh, increased risk of medical events, because that still does remain a possibility. But what we kind of framed as clinically significant, which would be sort of a 25% uh, relative risk or more associated with ECT, that does seem to be less likely of individuals getting ECT. How confident are you that the results in your particular setting would apply in other parts of the world? Yeah, and I so I think that that does highlight an important aspect here that this is only a, a single study and it should be replicated in other jurisdictions, uh, in other settings with different healthcare systems, either um, you know, private healthcare systems, public, you know, less well-resourced settings. Uh, so I think it is encouraging uh, and it supports the, the relative safety of ECD, but 
we can't say definitively that it is safe for everyone because, you know, as we were speaking about, it is, it is a, a, a difficult decision for individuals to make to consider ECT for themselves or their loved ones. Well, some would say that even if people don't experience what you call serious medical events, there might nevertheless be side effects of the treatment which, which fall outside your definition, but which are important and significant to the individual, such as memory loss, which I know that, that some people find quite, quite distressing. What would be your response to that? I would say absolutely. Um, you know, this study, and that is one of the limitations of this study, was our definition of serious medical events. So we were not able to, you know, as part of our study, the data collection or the design, we, we don't have information on those cognitive, the memory side effects. Some individuals um, have also experienced anesthesia awareness, uh, which is where they're sort of, you know, the anesthesia may wear off prematurely, and that can be quite disconcerting or distressing to an individual. And we, we don't have information on that. And so I would say that, you know, to the individuals who raise those concerns, I would sort of come back to that idea that, you know, it is a really, really difficult decision to whether somebody should go ahead with ECT or whether they want to try other medications or so forth. And those are unfortunately the, some of the side effects of ECT that have to be carefully weighed against the, the benefits and sort of that informed risk benefit discussion, which I think hopefully this study adds a little bit, you know, but more information for the, the color or the, um, the informed decision-making process. So really this study seems to settle one particular issue around ECT, but there will of course continue to be, to be discussion around the treatment in general and, and other areas of side effects and, and the pros and cons of making this decision to uh, use this treatment and to receive this treatment. Absolutely. This, I think our study doesn't say that there's no side effects of ECT because there, there absolutely are. There are the memory side effects, which can be very significant for some individuals. One last question. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, ECT has been around for a very long time. It was uh, in its day in, in the 1930s, it was the replacement for uh, chemically induced seizures using uh, drugs like metrazole. Now, more recently, what we've seen in the past decade is the rise of ketamine as an acute treatment for mood disorders. So it seems that there's always this need that people feel to have acute antidepressant treatments, but that the form of this treatment has evolved in the past. It seems to be evolving now. Do you think that ECT will still be used years, decades from now? I, I would say I don't know. In some cases, you know, I would, I almost would hope that we could come up with something better that doesn't have these memory side effects, that is effective, that you know, doesn't involve an anesthetic agent. However, I know there's been a lot of hope sort of every, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that something will replace it. I know uh, I was recently reviewing, looking at a paper sort of in the 50s and 60s, the hope was that the antidepressants would completely replace ECT. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Will it happen with ketamine? I don't know. But, you know, hopefully we do come up with something that can replace it, that has, that is better tolerated yet retains that same efficacy. So the decision to uh, administer ECT, to receive ECT, is not one to be taken lightly, but hopefully the data which your team have come up with will inform that decision. Yes, I, I think it's, it is a, it's, a, it's a very serious decision to consider whether somebody should proceed with ECT. It should not be taken lightly. And really the hope of our work is to help 
inform the, the you know an individual's decision and provide context and information to help hopefully make them feel comfortable proceeding with treatment acknowledging that our study does not address all all of the side effects with DCT which are also important to consider acknowledging that there is also the significant benefits of ECT. So it's it's very much a, it, it's a hard decision for people to make. And so our hope is that this can help inform that discussion or the decision-making process for both for the patient. Many thanks, Tyler. And thanks to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Now you can read the research article on the risk of serious medical events in patients with depression treated with ECT on our website, and we welcome your thoughts on it. That's it for this episode. From the entire editorial team at the Lancet Psychiatry, thanks for listening. Be well and stay safe.